0: To a brand new episode of the Power Half Hour here on the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network and all of your favorite podcast apps. My name is Greg Mahatchko, joining me from across the country. He is known belovedly as the co-host on the West Coast. He is Chad Smart. Hello, Chad.
1: Hello, Greg. I'm trying to do the weird hand symbol with the W, but yeah, I got nothing. I can't even do the Vulcan. How's it going?
0: It's going great. Not, I, not
1: that I, anybody in podcast world can see my hand signals, but <laughs> I just felt I can, like throwing up the, the W.
0: I can do the west side. I can do the Vulcan. I can do – don't uh, – I'm a little hesitant to say because I'm not trying to start any chicanery, but I can I, do the blood uh, hand symbol where you spell out – the only word. one I
1: – the only one I can do is the two-sweet.
0: So. There you go. Well, that that's a that's a classic. That'll outlive most of the other ones we just mentioned. I think <laughs> that'll outlive probably everything but the middle finger as yeah. far as hands well, Well,
1: and, of course, the, the four-horseman signal. That one's pretty easy.
0: Well, by God, Chad, if you can't hold up four fingers, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you must not have four fingers right. to hold up.
1: I was going to say, my grandfather couldn't hold up four fingers. He could only do two. Ooh, which two? He lost the other two. Uh, the, I believe it was the middle and the pinky he still had. He chopped off the index and ring finger in a work accident.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's a so, great start. start to the episode. <laughs> uh, this week, it's just the two of us again after we brought in a guest uh, once again last week. And Shout out to Tom Skull. Big uh, appreciation for him joining us, and uh, wouldn't you know that uh, uh, immediately after he joined us, baseball started. If he would have talked with us back in April, we probably could have salvaged the whole dang season.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm good with the 60-game season. Okay. Baseball season's way too long,
0: mm. in my opinion. Okay. It's a conversation for another podcast. We're not here to talk about <laughs> that. We are here because you brought another thrilling topic, our direction, a great great conversation we're going to have, again, Sep, using our age differences as uh, like a third a third part of the show.
1: Yeah, I'm basically uh, stealing an idea from one of my favorite podcasts, the Stuck in the Eighties podcast. But uh, when I texted you earlier to say, what are we discussing this week? Neither one of us had any ideas. So I I was trying to think of something we could do to, to play off of the age difference, which was kind of the concept of this show when we first started it. And so for me, I consider probably my favorite years of cinema, either 1985 or 1987. And so I wanted to do a comparison of the, the year in cinema of, the, of when we turned a specific age. And because I love 85 and 87, I decided to split the difference and go 86. And that was when I turned 12. So I, I challenged you to come up with five movies from the year you turned 12. And let's see which year was the better year in cinema. And I believe I looked at some of your choices and I, I've got my work cut out for me. Um, I'm going to say 1986 is kind of a the valley between the peaks of 85 and 87.
0: That's cheating because I did not do any, you know, opposing stance research like you did. Mm. Well, I don't know what
1: you chose, so...
0: You got a pretty good idea. If you looked at that top line on Google, you got a pretty good idea. (laughs) I'll tell you... Well, if I have the year right, so
1: I could have been looking at the wrong year.
0: Well, let's start. We know that your year is 1986. And you were looking presumably what you thought my year was. Go ahead and uh, tell the listeners what year you thought.
1: I'm thinking 1994.
0: Damn, you're good. And that means that I'm about as predictable. If you went to Google and you Googled (laughs) 1994 movies, then I guarantee that from the top list, you can probably name four out of the five that I selected.
1: I, I was going to say, had I not looked at the list, if you would have asked me for five films from '94, I got a feeling that the top four that I would have picked are probably on your list.
0: Okay. So, well, let's start in the valley between the peaks, and right. uh, let's start in so 1986, my, Jed.
1: Yeah, so I went through the Box Office Mojo top 100 films of 1986, and you know, I the top two films for the year. One of them I enjoy, but I have not seen in several years. And the and the top film is a movie that I don't understand the appeal of. So I'm going to say right now that they are not on my list. Maybe we'll get to them as a honorable mention later in the show. But I'm, I'm just going to work my way up from the bottom to the top of how I pick my, my list. I'm going to start off with a Kurt Russell classic. You know, when Jack Burton tells you something – you should listen to that advice. And so my number five film for 1986 is Big Trouble in Little China.
0: Okay. Never seen it.
1: Uh, you should uh, <laughs> go out of your way to watch it. it is, it's is—it's an interesting film, and it's a film that you don't really see a lot of today because if they remade this movie, it would be like a $150 million special effects Bonanza. And this is a little John Carpenter, you know, minor budget film. Kurt Russell is amazing. He's the, the hero who thinks he's super cool and awesome when he's really not. So it's like a, and it's got Kim Cattrall and it's, it's kind of a play on the tropes of, of the action movie. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: So what is your, what is your first film then? If you have not seen Big Trouble.
0: So, uh, mine are in, I'm not going to lie, no particular order. Um, and I, I just now went to Box Office Mojo and saw that of the top ten movies, three of them are in my list. So, without any further ado, Jim Carrey, did you know had three movies out in 1994? I did. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask. Yeah, I was going to say and okay, the mask came out the same year. All of them in... Uh, uh, Ace Ventura was February. The mask was July. And I'm not going to find it, but Dumb and Dumber was also 1994. However, the one that I'm going with first is a movie that I watched. It Look, it's been a staple on cable, you know, TNT and the like, for about 20-something years. And... I'll if I'm flipping through, it's always one that's going to get my attention. But luckily, I have the DVD, so I don't need to watch it. I can watch the unrate or uncensored version. Shawshank Redemption. Hmm. Uh, okay, it,
1: you threw me off there with with talking about Jim Carrey, but
0: I thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. None of those Jim Carrey movies made my list, although they were probably more formative to me <laughs> as 12 years old than than uh, about anything else on the list. Uh, but Shawshank Redemption, you know, a lot of people don't realize that that's based on a short story. Just a short story. They made, you know, one of the most, I think, compelling uh, movies of the 90s out of a short story. Uh, and Frank Darabont directed it, uh, of course, the short story uh, by Stephen King. It It was... It wasn't my introduction to Morgan Freeman because this is not going to bode any better for me, but I remember Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, but this was, uh, you know... Um, oh, what the hell is his name? I can picture it. Robbins. Thank you. Uh, you know, and he had been in... Uh, you know, prior to this, he was in um, Bull Durham. But something about this movie, it, and maybe it's because it does have you know, an underlying theme, and, and one of the final words of the movie is that uh, about hope. You know, he, he's in there for um, yeah, a crime he didn't commit. There's proof, you know, as the movie goes on, spoiler alert for a 26-year-old movie, that uh, he did not commit the crime. He's not getting any help from the warden because he's, you know, helping the warden, uh, you know, with, with all the financials and and uh, probably doing a little bit of it uh, on the dirty. And uh, then he... he you know, puts in his master plan. He escapes. Uh, it's a tremendous visual of Andy Dufresne coming out in the pouring down rain, stripping down, uh, taking his shirt off. You know, he's got the bar of soap. He's he's uh, he's a thinking. Uh, he, he's a thinker, and, and he put this plan. This is not something that he did. You know, he's like, I've had enough. I'm getting out of here tonight. It's I've been trying to get out of here since the day I got in. Um, <clears throat> it. I don't know, it still still compels me to this day.
1: Yeah. I saw this movie in college with my roommates, and they had not read the book. And so the ending completely took them by surprise. Uh, I was a huge fan of Stephen King in my uh, high school days, college days. So I had read this book, and actually I'm going to use it to spring into my next film. Well, there you go. Because this movie, Shawshank Redemption, is from the book. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which is part of the collection of stories in the different seasons book. Um, spoil A uh, little difference in the book is that Andrew Dufresne is actually guilty in the book, but I guess you can't have a sympathetic guilty character in the movie, so they make him innocent. But my second film from 1986 also comes from the different seasons novella booklet. And uh, it's a movie that was originally called The Body, and it's about four kids going out on a little expedition to find a dead body. And the movie is known as Stand by Me.
0: Well done, so, sir.
1: Okay. You have River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Will Wheaton, and Jerry, Jerry O'Connell. That's right. And then of course you also have Kiefer Sutherland as the leader of the you know the, the older kids and John Cusack shows up in flashback scenes. And this movie, you know, because I was the right age when it came out, it, it just kind of hit all the notes because I could relate to the, to the main characters. Um, yeah, I just – this is probably – I mean Shawshank is a great film. And I think it's probably been a little tainted in my memory just because it's on television so often. But Stand By Me is probably, if I had to seriously sit down and think about it, probably in my top three Stephen King movies.
0: It, it's um – it's a tremendous movie. I, I haven't seen it as much. I mean, you got to remember when it came out, I was four, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. but I, it's definitely one that I've grown to appreciate oddly enough, as I've gotten older, it's, it's kind of, as I've matured out of, you know, like that, that age range where, you know, I, I don't know if I'm the key demographic when you're, when you're coming of age, but uh, it's definitely one that I've just appreciated more uh, later in life. It's a, uh, it's the, yeah, R- it, it's a, it's a PG 13 Goonies, man. Pretty much, yeah. With Corey Feldman. So, there you go. Alright. Well, my uh, it's funny that my three of my <laughs> five movies on, on my list are movies that span the main character over decades. So, the next one was an Academy Award winner. He's a household name, uh, a national treasure, and a global icon. He's Tom Hanks, as Forrest Gump.
1: I figured you would throw that one in there.
0: It was. It's a movie that, uh, you know, I remember watching. I think my sister had it on VHS back in the day. And I just, I, I just watched it an awful lot. And I think because of that, I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I got burned out on, on the Gump. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's a whole chain of restaurants that got started because of this movie. And,
1: and if you go to any tourist location,
0: you will find them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but since I don't eat shrimp, it's not really appealing to me uh and I don't care how Bubba plans on cooking <laughs> it. um this was a movie that w- you know when it came out i was I was twelve when it came out, so I was probably thirteen when I saw it on vHs and I didn't fully understand it like I didn't understand the fact that you know all these things the forest is you know all, all the all the parts these are all all the moments that he's in you know are by and large, real moments, you know. Uh, hmm. So, it, it, again, it's one of those that I learned to appreciate the older I got.
1: Yeah, I saw this movie in the theater twice, and the second time I saw it, I snuck in a tape recorder so I could record the film, so I could work on the Forrest Gump accent. Oh,
0: gosh. I don't know why, but I did. And then you got kicked so, out and banned.
1: No. No, no one noticed, but. I think I listened to the tape like maybe twice and went, why Why do I have an audio of a film? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but no, I mean, this is classic Tom Hanks and, you know, young Haley Jo Osment would uh, show up later in the film. And, you know, this is where, like, I like Robert Zemeckis' film style of using special effects to enhance a story rather than be the story. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm doing a bad job of uh, kind of fighting for my my year here by agreeing with your picks. So
0: g- g- uh, give me I one I can sink my teeth into, Chad.
1: Well, I don't. I we'll see how this next one goes. Um, it's a movie. It's the second collaboration between Savage Steve Holland, who's a director, and John Cusack. And for the, before they started shooting, they had a screening of Better Off Dead, which was their first film. And according to the story that I heard Savage Steve tell at a Q and a John Cusack got up about halfway through better off dead, walked out and then never came back. And the next day came up to Savage Steve and said, you made me look like a fool. Now, I don't know why John Cusack thinks that way because better off dead is an eighties classic and it's an awesome film. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. But I'm sure it made filming this next film a little tense because they had to work together for probably a month. And that movie is one crazy summer. Got John Cusack, um, Demi Moore, Bubba Goldthwait, uh, Curtis Armstrong, like Boger in *Revenge of the Nerds*. Mm. Tell me you have seen this film.
0: One crazy summer. Yes. Uh, I'm looking, looking, I'm looking just to see if there's anything that pops out. I'm, uh, let me, let me pull off my bad news, Barrett. I'm afraid (laughs) I've got some bad news. I don't think this one, Ah, this one doesn't look familiar.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, John Cusack and his friends go and spend the summer on, um, I it's the island of Nantucket. They meet Demi Moore, who's an aspiring singer, who's taking care of her grandfather and, The town, the rich guy is trying to buy up the house, and then they, uh, you know, John Cusack makes an enemy of the rich guy's son, and it all culminates in a yacht race. And uh, There's a scene where Bobcat Goldthwaite is trapped in a Godzilla costume running around.
0: What more do you need? Apparently I'm going to need some more. I'm not saying I'll never watch it. I'm saying it to this point, I've not seen it.
1: Before we record the next episode, you should track this film down and watch it, because I guarantee you will laugh yourself silly.
0: Okay, but is that going to make a great case for our battle tonight? Probably not. Probably not. So my third selection, again, dealing with the concept of one character over a very long lifespan. This character happens to be immortal, he happens to have some dashing eyes and he happens to, uh, prefer blood interview with a vampire.
1: No, right. I think I just won the argument.
0: <laughs> oh, I like this movie. Uh, I, there, there's something about it. First of all, if you, if you're going to say that just because you don't like young Kirsten Dunst, then <laughs> shame on you. Um, no, I don't know this, uh, I honestly thought that there was going to be more interviews with the vampire. Um, But it's got one of your favorites, Chad. It's got Christian Slater in it.
1: Yes, it does. Replacing River Phoenix, who passed away shortly before filming started.
0: Really? Was he supposed to? Mm -hmm. Interesting. He was supposed to play the interviewer. Interesting. See, we're making points all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I know you don't like Tom Cruise, so probably loses some points there. But uh, Antonio Banderas? I don't know. for, look when you look at the uh, quality of vampire movies we've had in the last decade. Interview with the Vampire sits pretty high, sir.
1: No, true. They don't. They don't sparkle. So that's a plus.
0: Exactly. All right. Hit me with uh, your next one.
1: Well, I, I was gonna say I saw Interview with in the Vampire with the Vampire twice or once in the theater. I fell asleep twice during the film. So that's why I don't – I've never gone back to rewatch it. And when it comes to vampire movies, you can't top The Lost Boys, which is from 1987. But
0: which is terrific, a, except we're talking about 1986.
1: Yeah, that's why. But speaking of 1986, uh, a movie that I, I think is just kind of an epitome of America – film an America bravado in the 80s uh, not Rocky Fork is that movie that came out in 1985 but a movie with Jason Gedrick and Lewis Gossett Jr. following up his Academy Award winning role in Officer and a Gentleman instead of playing a drill sergeant he's playing a mechanic named Chappie and this movie is
0: Iron Eagle nice I have is, probably not seen Iron Eagle in 25 years <laughs>
1: Uh, it is, I, I believe this is one of the few DVDs that I still own.
0: Well, look at that. is that just because Wait. they're not going to spend the money to convert it to digital?
1: <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm waiting on the Blu-ray collector's edition Criterion, but uh, yeah, this is a movie that totally implausible. On the Out of Touchstone podcast, we reviewed a movie called The Rescue, which is basically the same movie, only with a group of kids and no chappie. But it, it's a pale, pale comparison to Iron Eagle. And I know they've made three or four sequels to Iron Eagle, but you can stop after the first one. You just, that's really the only one you need to see. And, you know, if, if it's easy for a mechanic and a kid, teenager to steal planes from the military, I think we need an overhaul of our security systems. Well, but it's still a great
0: film. Fortunately, that movie was 34 years ago. We don't have to worry about those types of uh, uh, security breaches in this day and age. Probably. Oh. All right, so my next one is actually the top earner for box office in the year uh, of Our Lord 1994. It had a total gross of 312 million uh, dollars, eight hundred fifty. Wait, three hundred twelve million, eight hundred fifty-five thousand, five hundred sixty-one dollars. It was a summer blockbuster, and it recently spawned a quote-unquote live-action, although there wasn't anything live about it. Uh, reboot, if you will, remake, perhaps. I'm talking about the OG, the Lion King. Chad. Hakuna Matata. Darn tootin uh, I mean, I, I can sit here and wax poetic about the Lion King, but I really don't have to. It speaks for itself. It's it's uh it's one of Disney's most successful animated features of all time.
1: That that is true, and you know it also features features um, uh, the the voice of Puma is Mr. Uh, Kurosi from Say by the Bell, The Beach Club
0: season. Mm, okay. I don't I didn't know that.
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: You look and and according uh, to according to Box Office Mojo, it played in 2624 theaters, which I thought would be the most, but Star Trek Generations actually uh, played in more, 2681. Uh there's none that that eclipsed that mark based on my my uh what I'm seeing here, so.
1: Yeah. And uh as you mentioned, they did just come out with a live action version last year which no one needs to ever see no. or talk about. Uh, stick with the cartoon. Uh, Disney. Come on, come up with new ideas. All right. And I have to say, after watching all of the, well, up to up through Chicken Little of the Disney animated films once Disney Plus launched, Lion King is probably in the top 10 Disney films. So
0: do you have, I gotcha. Do you have the ability to uh, give us a number one based on where you're at right now? Uh, I do. What's the number uh, one? Number one opinion?
1: film is I think it's an eighties classic. If you ask people to name top five '80s films, this is probably going to be on a lot of lists. Oh, are you talking Disney?
0: Yeah, I'm talking about Disney. Oh, uh, Oh, well the, the, the animated normal, ones you've come to so far.
1: Yeah, it's The Little Mermaid. I mean, there's no question.
0: All right. Well, anyway, back mm-hmm. to 1986.
1: <laughs> it's Little Mermaid, then Fox and the Hound, and then
0: other films. So I, 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 I could I could punch so many holes through Little Mermaid. It would make your head spin. But well, we don't have time for that.
1: Well, okay. So jumping back to 1986, um, my top film, as I was getting ready to say, is probably one that yeah. will be on the top five list of a lot of people – if you ask them, top 80s films, it is uh, a movie that, that made Chicago look fun. It made the Ferrari, I believe, a, a hot-wanted car. And I never understood why the sidekick character is wearing a Detroit Red Wings hockey jersey, <laughs> but I'm glad he's not wearing a Blackhawks jersey. And that is Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: Yes. Terrific. Fantastic movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. The way your list started off, chat and the way my list started off, uh, I th- I, th- I thought I thought I had this one in the bag. Mm. I think you're gonna end up taking the cake on this one because my number five, by the first of all, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, is tremendous on so many levels. Um, I did not ever have as much fun in Chicago as that trio of friends, mm. and uh, it's probably why I don't like Chicago. Um, but that well, movie, a lot of reasons. <laughs> right. We're not going to get into it here, Chad. It's not the kind <laughs> of a podcast. Save that for one of your shows. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I loved that movie so much that when I was in college, I was in a group called, uh, uh core values one Oh one. It was a student led group. And, you know, it was like a peer to peer, type of thing and and, uh, what we did is we would do presentations and do skits and after all of our serious skits we put together a goofy skit that I helped write and it was all about uh, a college age student aka me who uh, wasn't going to class and he's just hanging in his uh, room watching movies all the time and so all of my responses were movie dialogue and a good, good chunk of them were from Ferris Bueller's Day Off so that movie always holds a special place in my heart and it's refreshing to know that the car that they trashed was not a Ferrari, but it was like a Ford uh, that they put a little Ferrari shell on. So that makes me happy.
1: All right. So what is your top film of 1994?
0: Uh, see, I did mine in no particular order, so this isn't fair. No.
1: Well, <laughs> your last film of 1994. My last doesn't include John
0: Travolta. No. Uh, mm. It doesn't include really any Quote unquote household names, um, but it launched a career. It launched a uh, something of a fan base. It launched the 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 offshoot of the family tree of this movie. Launched Greg Mahachko having a podcast network. That is 1994's black and white indie darling Clerks. Mm. Because without Kevin Smith, I hate to say it, there's no Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. So uh, this is another movie that I could just sit by, and uh, I was introduced to it at at the college age. And I just sit there and watch the movie and and quote it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I don't see eye to eye with Kevin Smith on on everything, but uh, I cannot deny his influence in, in my life. Uh, the first podcast I ever listened to was a Kevin Smith podcast. And, uh, um, you know, I, I have all the View Askew movies and I, they're just incredibly fun to watch. And uh, I, I always like the, you know, just the realism of a couple of nerds just having a conversation. Uh, you know, that's about what, what they were. Uh, that's all that movie was about was just getting surviving the day and having your friends nearby.
1: Yeah, I worked as a in a grocery store as like my part-time job in between college, like at Christmas break and summer break. And I can't tell you how many times I had to run lines from clerks in my head to stay sane I because it. the people that come in there are, are yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. And, and clerks, you know, without clerks, we wouldn't have mall rats. And if we didn't have mall rats, where, the backseat of a Volkswagen?
0: <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable place. Uh, yeah, so it, it's uh, it, you know it's still a, a dream of mine to be able to have a conversation uh, on record uh, with Kevin Smith. I don't think it'll ever happen, but that's all right. I podcast for fun. He, he gets to be get paid for it. But, uh, uh, Chad, this was fun. This is fun going back and looking into uh, 1994. Can we do it with various years of our youth? Sure.
1: Yes. And next time, maybe I'll actually look at the films ahead of time. And otherwise... You know, looking at my list, I, I really wanted to get into why I didn't pick films like Song of the South, Soul Man, or even Top Gun as the top movie of 1986. But unfortunately, we're out of time. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.